there's certain times in, in your ministry life that, that have an effect on you or kind of set a, a real memory. And this is one of those times I remember the night um, I got this phone call. And it was probably 9, 10 o'clock at night. My, you know, my phone doesn't usually ring that, that late. Um, and I was sitting there, I think, kind of maybe even watching TV or doing, looking on an iPad or something. And I get this phone call. And, and when, I, when I answer it, um, obviously, you know, I knew who it was. And, and, uh, and the voice on the other side was just, just sobbing like, it was one of those phone calls that you knew immediately, okay, this is bad. This is really bad. And um, she couldn't even say my name. She was trying to get my name out. And, and, I, and I thought, okay, this is, I need to get my mind ready. Um, and so uh, she begins to try, it took, probably took two or three minutes to actually get, get words out. And... Um, so I got up from where I was sitting and I started moving toward the bedroom. I thought I better, I better go ahead and get, get you know, dressed because I'm going to have to be going. And, and um, she began to describe a situation um, that was, was really uh, heartbreaking. And it's, it's, your, your, your mind goes to, to all kinds of places. And it, it, I thought I kind of probably knew what it was. And it turns out I was really wrong. It wasn't that at all. But... But she began to talk about a situation with her husband and uh, just, just probably in 10 or 12 minutes uh, did her best to, to speak in broken sentences. I mean, I mean, crying like you just never heard a person cry. And, uh, and so the next day I, I, went, I went over. I didn't end up going that night. I, the next day I went over and I remember uh, sitting in, in the living room and and he said, uh, you know, um, the devil finally got me. And I said, you know, that's not true. I said, actually, God's done you the biggest favor in the world because you can't hide anymore. You spent a couple of years in shadow games, covers, all kinds of situations to, to try to you know, it got bad, then you figured you could fix it, and you tried to fix it, and then you didn't fix it, and then it got worse, and you tried to fix it, and you didn't fix it, and it got worse. And, 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 and now, now you're at a place where you just can't hide anymore. God, God has done you the biggest service he could do for you because he loves you, and he's not going to let you live in the dark anymore. You can't. There's no way to live in the dark anymore. Today, uh, we're going to talk about this idea of the church being a place of transparency. We've been talking about the one another statements. And I told you, if you're new here today, we're going through the different one another statements of the New Testament. And it's not that the one another statements are about a church, but you find the DNA of church in the one another statements. And today we're going to talk about one another and what it means to be transparent with one another, to live in the light. And I'm going to work off of a very simple foundational principle that I want you to take home with you. And it's this, that there is no healing without revealing. Okay, healing doesn't come without revealing. You, you can't walk around in the dark. And that day, my friend uh, that I went over to see, he, he had to go out into the light. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like now um, and what it means to, to take James at his word when he says confess our sins one to another. So if you've got a Bible, turn to James chapter 5. It's kind of toward the very end of your Bible if you're on a tablet or a device. I use the NASB, New American Standard, um, James chapter 5. It's right after Hebrews and right before Peter. 
And so James is writing to Christians and and he kind of goes into the very end of his letter. And I've read this book many, many times. And this has always been a, a verse that has ministered to me many, many ways. And this is what he says to the believers in verse 13, James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? Then he is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Now here's the key verse, verse 16. I really want you to pay attention to the, to the, the rhythm and the, the way this is structured. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Did you see how it's connected? Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. There is no healing without revealing. Now, now you're thinking, oh man, where's he going to go with this? Are we going to have like this public confession time at the end? Okay, no. Okay, I'm not. So you can relax because some of you are looking quite terrified right now. All right? We're, we're not. What, what, what does this actually mean? What's the meaning here? What is he actually going after here? Well, let me tell you what it's not, Okay. I don't believe there's anything in that passage that tells us that we have to have, you know, as a part of our worship structures, the confessional time, you know, every Sunday where you, you come in and, you know, that wouldn't do us any good. And there are some things about you I just don't want to know, okay? And there are some things about me you don't want to know, so we're going to leave it at that, right? He's, he's not talking about us having the need to have public confessions and air all of our dirty laundry, but the scriptures are very clear that we are to confess our sins one to another. So what does that mean? How, how does that work? And so today, uh, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of core truths that I think God does want you to know. What, what, based on this passage, what does God actually want me to know? What does it mean to confess my sins one to another to, your, to the people that you walk alongside or maybe your small group or your Bible study or your closest Christian brother or sister? What does, what does it mean? And why, why would he tell us to do that? That's the big question. Why? Why are we told to confess our sins one to another? Well, I would tell you this. Number one, following Jesus means that I don't live in secrets. Okay? That's really important for you to know. Following Jesus means that I don't live in secrets. I don't dwell in secrets. Now, who, who's, the, the letter, who's the book of James written to? The whole world? No. It's written to Christians. It's written to Christians, right? It's not written to the whole world. And you have to understand that. That, that for us in the community, as we call the community of faith, as, we, as the body of Christ, the living, breathing, a church isn't, we were doing this whole series on church, and it's not just a building in bricks and mortar, and it's not a permanent address on Franklin Road. The church is a group of people, and we are told in the scriptures to confess our sins one to another. Why is it that we don't live in secrets? It's because we, we carry a new image now. We are the image bearers. I don't have to be afraid of my story here. You understand that? Your story, the whole point of walking with Christ and the whole point of redemption is that you used to be this way. Jesus injected himself into your life and now you're this way. Yeah, I absolutely do have a past and so do you. 
all of us have things that we really wish never had happened. In fact, the older you get, the more you're like, you know, I got a little more money than I used to. If I could pay to go back, I would like teleport. Some of y'all, some of y'all are really smart. Some of you students, like, y'all need to invent time travel. First of all, I'm in. I'll do it. I don't care what happens. I'd like to just say he was the first. And then, but I want to go back and like some of those places that I really, you know, jacked it up back there. You know, I'd like to kind of make some because it follows you. You know, it follows you all your life. Like, oh man, I remember doing that, you know, and there was things I did in high school. Listen, there were things I did in high school that, you know, they're, they're, they're just, they're just stupid. Um, and we, and we all do that, right? So I got a past two and so do you, I, but I don't live in secrets. I don't have to live in secrets. We, we are image bearers and we don't have to walk in the darkness. You see, I think that our stories here and the, the, the healing that comes in Christ, I think those those are testimonies. Those are trophies of God's grace. See, if you, if, you, if you don't tell the story, this is really important, and I want you to understand why this matters. If you don't tell the story, then you, you don't get to tell the redemption, and redemption matters. Your story matters. I'm telling you, for many of you, some of your biggest ministry opportunities will come when you're willing to tell the story. You don't have to tell every single little detail, but when you tell the story, you know what it does? It lets other people go, oh, okay, wow, I'm not the, I thought I was the only one in the room, you know, with depression. I thought I was the only one in the room that had an abusive past. Well, I thought I was the only one in the room that is still mad at like my boss from four jobs ago. <laughs> this person, you, you, when you tell the story, you can just see relief come on people's faces because now you know, oh, there's a place for me. There's a place for me. We don't live in secrets. I love what 1 John says. 1 John chapter five, or chapter 1, verse 5 says this. Look at what, what 1 John says. I love this verse. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus can, cleanses us from all sin. But I want you to look at that for a minute. That, that middle part. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Okay, so let's reverse that for a minute. We do not have fellowship with one another if we're not in the light. See, we're not, we, don't, we don't operate in secrets because you don't have to. You don't have to live a secretive life at all. Jesus doesn't want us to deal in the darkness because it's in the light that you get healing. There is no healing without revealing. You've got to be willing to deal with who you are and who you used to be. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that I've, I, I'm, I'm not making this up just to, you know, sound good. One of the generations that I believe is teaching all of us the power of this is millennials. The millennial generation, I absolutely admire their willingness to be open about their lives. It's very redeeming. And I don't know where they got it because they certainly didn't get it from my generation. 
because we weren't raised like that. And they certainly didn't get it from my daddy's generation because they show enough wasn't raised like that, right? No, you came to church. How many of y'all were raised? How many of y'all know what this phrase means, your Sunday best? Raise your hand if you know what that phrase, uh-huh. Notice very few young people raise their hand. You know why? Because you put on your good clothes that your mama bought. You, you know, they were always stiff. I don't know why. My, I don't even know my mama had starch. My mama had nuclear starch, right? I mean, I come in walking like, you know, Einstein, you know, like the Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's all stiffed out. You know, I couldn't sit. I just kind of leaned back in the pew, you know, kind of thing, right? No. You put on your Sunday best, and you went home, and you ate something out of a crock pot, and you did it again next week, right? And you did it again the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that. But the one thing you did not do was tell people where you've been failing. You just didn't do that. And I love that the millennial generation just says, okay, that's dumb. Because we all know. And I wonder, this is just me riffing for a minute. This is me just taking a, a liberty. But I don't know if this is true. I've never really asked. Maybe I should ask. But one of the things I wonder is if the reason they're so willing to talk about the places they struggle is because they lived with us. And they lived with the generations. And they're like, wait a minute. I saw your marriage imploding. And then I saw the game you played on Sunday. And I'm not doing that. I wonder, I mean, I, I do, that's just my own, I wonder. They're honest about it. And I'm telling you, man, there is, there is, listen to me, church family, there is healing and freedom in transparency. You don't have to talk to the whole world, but you do have to talk to some people. And for that reason, let's move on to number two. Why does it matter? I, I'm not to deal in secrets, but I do live in a family. I, I do live in a church family. I do live in a family of God. And listen, man, when you're struggling, there are so many of you that, are, that you're struggling in isolation because you're choosing to. You don't, you don't have to choose to do that. If you'll notice in, in Revelation, I mean, Revelation in Genesis, the first book, if you notice in Genesis, the first problem humanity encountered, and this is before the fall, right? This is before the fall. But if you go back and read the, the, uh, the creation account, the first problem that mankind encountered was isolation. It is not good for man to be alone. God didn't make you for aloneness. He didn't make you for isolation. And I can tell you what happens to you. Oh, you can keep all this stuff buried, all the places you struggle. And there's two things. Number one, you're not going to realize that in this room, let's just, let's just pick one, okay? Let's say you struggle with a pretty healthy dose of depression, okay? I can promise you in this room, there's probably 20, 30% of the people, maybe more, that are taking medication for that very thing right now. If you struggle with some type of addiction... There's other people in this room right now that are struggling with that. I, I'm telling you, it's a fact. Why can't we just be honest about that? Why, why can't we just say that? Why, why can't we just say, yeah, you know, I, 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 came, I came out of that. It, it, was, it was hard. It was, it was tough. Why can't we just be honest about that? Because I'll tell you one of the things that Christians do, man. It's, it's the truth. What Christians do, I've learned this after 30 years of ministry, you stuff it down and you stuff it down and you stuff it down until you stuff it down and you stuff it down like a spring, but it's coming out. It is coming out. I heard Gary Smalley, Michelle and I were, uh, 
we were at a marriage conference like one or two years into, we had just gotten married and we went to some, some church and Gary Smalley, he, he wrote uh, Love Languages, I think. He, he's, he's now in heaven. He's out of Missouri, amazing man of God. And I remember, I remember specifically being two years into our marriage and he was, he was all but begging, begging young couples. There was like a thousand people in the room and he was begging them to, to get help early. And this is what he said, I'll never forget it. He said, I've been in marriage and family practice my entire career. And they had a thing at the time called Smalley Relationship Center, and you could go there. And he said, here's the deal. He said, sadly, over 90% of Christian couples that come to us for marriage restoration, it's too late. There is so much pain and so much damage, and they have kept it concealed for so long, it is irreparable. But we have kept the numbers. And the, the couples that come at the first signs of trouble have a 100% recovery rate. 100%. 100%. And I, I have learned, but we know why we do that. And I, I see it too, even in my own ministry. All of our pastors do. We, we, whatever you're struggling with, here's, here's what you're afraid of. I'm telling you, this is what you're afraid of. What you're afraid of is that you're so afraid that if I knew or if Shane knew, or if Graham knew, for Alexis knew, right? If one of our ministers knew, you're so afraid that we would think you're a bad person. And we don't. Oh, now you may be doing something quite dumb. I've done dumb stuff. But it, you're not a bad person. But you're so afraid that we're going to think that you're not living for the Lord. Yeah, get in line. All of us can say that. Every one of us, me included, all of us can say that. So the faster you come to the place of revealing, healing doesn't come without revealing. And that doesn't have to be to the whole world, but it does, it does mean that it does have to happen. And, and, and so I, I tell you, one of the things I, I've, I've really loved about our church, man, I, I think the Lord did a huge work here. When we did Keys to Freedom, uh, we did that study, you know, back a, a few months ago. That's going to be a staple. It's, it's going on all the time in our church. And, and for, for all of you that, that took Keys to Freedom, hey, I'm curious. I, I, don't, I know I don't know how to do this, but play along for just a minute. How many of y'all in the last two years have taken that study? Raise your hand really high where I can see it. Okay, cool. Awesome. Good deal. Let me tell you what, what we learned in that study. I saw so many of you were like, ah, oh, it's not really for me because you you might think, oh, it's for people with, you know, life hurting issues like anorexia or some type of eating disorder, or maybe it's for somebody that's had an abusive past. Well, that's true, but that study is all about your own walk with God. Maybe for you, oh, it's not about addiction. It's not about abuse. Maybe for you, it's about anger and resentment. God wants you to be healed from that. Maybe for you, it's about fear. And you've lived your whole life in fear. You're afraid all the time. Maybe for you, you're bound in shame, right? The Bible talks about there is guilt that leads to repentance, but shame is from the devil. And there's many of you that live in shame based on something that happened 30, 40 years ago or even 10 years ago. You're in shame over something, and shame is from the devil. But you've got to have real-world tools of how to deal with that. Keys to Freedom brought that to the surface. And so I was amazed at how many stories were coming out of our church about people that were like, man, I finally got victory over my mindset. I finally got victory over how I saw the world. We talked a lot in Keys to Freedom about this image right here, about the tree. See, so many people try to hide their behaviors, but let me tell you something about your behaviors, friend. Whatever your thing is that's keeping you from experiencing joy in Jesus, if that, that behavior has a root system, 
and it's just gonna keep happening, you know? That's why, it's, it's kind of like, like gardening. It's why I don't, there's a lot of flowers I think are from the devil because, because like I will whack them with weeds, but I have learned unless you get a shovel and get the root bulb up, like next year, that same thing's coming back. And I don't know how those things hide because they move. They're not supposed to, they're rooted, but they move, right? Because I thought, oh, I, I scooped it up. And next year, whammo, same kind of same flowers just come up again. And I hate it, you know? But I'm telling you, until you get the root out, the behaviors keep going, right? This is simple. Until you get the root source changed, the behaviors just keep coming. So you can try to do better all you want. But until you go after the root source, it's going to keep happening. And we are called to confess that one to another. Because until you can learn to have somebody walk with you, so many of you live in isolation. But you don't have to. You really don't have to. And then for you, it might just be your, your closest friend. For you, it might be your small group where you're like, hey, you know, y'all, like I'm, I'm, I'm really down right now about this thing. It may not be something earth shattering, but I can tell you this, you have a real enemy called Satan and he is bound and determined to make sure that you don't self-correct it. You need one another. You need one another. And I'm, I'm here to tell you guys, if our story of redemption, if it's not safe here, where can it be? I mean, where can it be? If we can't be honest about our past or honest about our current, you're living in isolation. And I'm telling you, man, you live in isolation long enough and the devil will speak to you. My friend Steve Pettit says, says it better than anybody I've ever heard. He said, Jason, keep it in the light. Surgery's always done in the light. It's never done in the dark. Keep it in the light. Surgery's always done in the light. It's never done in the dark. Keep it in the light. We walk in the light as he himself is in the light because we are not in fellowship with darkness. So here, I, I believe that I believe it, it, it clear view that our best days are ahead for this reason, that I believe we can be a type of person and a type of people that say, you know, your story is safe here. Oh, we're never going to condone sin and we're never going to endorse behavior that is contrary to the person of Jesus, but your story and you, you are accepted. And that, that needs to be out front and out front always that we are open about the places we struggle. Back in, uh, in uh, February, we had a Freedom Celebration Night, and we'll have many more of those. We'll have another one this year at some point. And it was a night where we got all in the chapel. There was like 125, 135 people, something like that. And we all, uh, we kind of did something we had never done. We had a couple of meetings about it. Um, I remember uh, me and Alexis specifically, we were like, we, should we have an open mic? And we were like, oh, I don't know. And we were both kind of worried about that. And we, but we, we thought we were going to, you know, because listen, let's face it. Some of y'all like karaoke, okay? You know, it's like, like spiritual karaoke. Like you, you don't want to be a pastor, but you, you'll preach a little, you know, right? And we're like, okay, so we give y'all an open mic. We're going to get hurt, you know? So we, we finally came to agreement. Like, okay, I think we can, you know? And so we, we had this open mic night and, and we talked about testimonies coming out of Keys to Freedom and my gosh, man, we, we anointed people. There were people coming down, sitting in chairs. And we said, you, know, hey, you don't have to tell us why, but if you're in a dry season, let's sit down. We, we laid a hand. It was just, it went on for like two hours, man. It was just kind of unscripted on purpose. And it was, it was one of the most, probably the most memorable worship environment I've ever seen at Clearview. And, and in that, um, 
One of the ladies stood up, uh, Claire Peppenhorst. This is the Peppenhorst family. That's Claire. They're the mom. And uh, just great, great family. I, I love them to death, man. You've just seen God's hand on them. And, and Claire began to talk. She said, um, she said, this study has been hard for me. And, and she began to elaborate on why. And she said, you know, um, I think my life is like a tree. And I've got all these things in my root system that I really didn't want to deal with. And she said, so I, I, I built a fence around it in my mind. And I, I was willing to let people come close to me, but only up to whatever fence. They just didn't know where the fence was. But I would let people come close till they got close to the fence. And then she said, God kept pursuing me. He, and, and he kept telling me, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to stop until all your fences are down. So she said, so I built gates. Um, but that didn't work either because I could let people in to the level that I want to, and then I, I closed the gate again. Um, but I remember a couple of specific statements that Claire said about this, and the first one was this one. She said, God requires access to everything for healing to happen. He requires access to everything. You can keep stuff from God, but I'll tell you, the reason that some of you aren't having your prayers answered right now has nothing to do with what you're praying about. It has everything to do with God's telling you, I'm not dealing with that until you deal with that. Because that is way more important than what you want right now. And until you fix this issue over here, that's the one we're talking about. And until you fix that and we talk about that, until you get honest about that, until you start maybe getting a coach for that or go see somebody about that, or until you go to that person that you're angry with and make amends, I'm not dealing with any of that until you deal with that. So that's how God works, because he's more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. And God's not going to let you build fences. And this, but this is the phrase that I remember that night when, when Claire said this. I was like, oh, man, I wrote that down. She said, healing doesn't happen with fences. Healing doesn't happen with fences. See, there is no healing without revealing. There's no healing without revealing. And I want you to get to a place where you're able to partner together with one another. And you're able to look at the beauty of what God restored in your past or what God is restoring. One of the things I have learned, you guys, about healing, your, your, your freedom in Christ, in your soul, I'm telling you, it's not one and done. Healing is a process. You ever been injured? Healing is a process. You ever had surgery? Healing is a process. When God does surgery on your soul, healing is a process. Freedom is not something that you go through once a year in a seven-week Bible study called Keys to Freedom. And freedom is not just a freedom celebration night. Our discipleship pathway at Clearview involves healing because the inner healing of what the Spirit does in our lives, that's, but it is a daily thing of being restored to God. There is no healing without revealing. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? 
Sometimes it, it, it does need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.